Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo and hello everybody, Mike here. Welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast where we talk vintage baseball cards most of the time, but today, or at least right now, I gotta talk about something. I gotta talk about something football. And we're recording this episode on uh Sunday. If you're watching it on air day, it'll be you know Wednesday. But CFP was announced today for college football and my TCU Horn Frogs. I'm a proud alumni of TCU and and they made the college football playoff for the first time in their history. It's great to see. In fact, they're the first Big 12 team to make it other than Oklahoma ever in the CFP history. And so I'm just on cloud nine. We'll, we might get throttled by Michigan, but <laughs> at least we're in. You know, yesterday's uh, Big 12 championship was a heartbreak not to win that and really just make it a no brainer and go undefeated in the regular season. But, you know, it was good to see that they made it and that they were still considered one of the four best teams in the country. I certainly was biased in, in thinking that, but it's, it's this great time of year, right? Where it's, you know, almost Christmas. We're in early December, you know, you've got football really just cranking NFL wise. You've got uh, the, college football regular season wrapping up you're going to have all bowl season is about to be here before we know it basketball will be off and running and so uh, both college and pro uh, well pros going now uh, but college basketball is again early seasons but you will just we're just going there's just lots going on sports wise and, and it's so much fun as a sports fan and you know I hope that most of you aren't just card people you're sports people too and that's so important but today I'm going to have a conversation with a, a a person that's been a friend of mine for, I guess, a couple of years now, maybe, maybe a year and a half, two years. Uh, he'll be able to more clarify. Uh, but Chris, he is from Missouri. In fact, his YouTube channel is called Chris from Missouri, uh, which is good because I always confuse him with, you know, Chris from Green Bay. So that's good that he identifies himself as Chris from Missouri. But we've been friends uh, for a little while. His focus is right up my alley. He's a vintage guy, loves vintage cards, has started his own YouTube channel, and I'm so proud of him for doing that. We've Again, we've been friends way longer than he's had a YouTube channel, but hopefully with my prodding and encouragement, he finally started creating content, putting himself out there and letting other people see what an amazing guy he is and just what an amazing eye for vintage he has. So I'll stop, you know, heaping praises onto him telling all these lies and bring them on. Chris, how are you doing, man? Doing great. And thanks. A lot. Thanks for having me on here. I'm pretty excited. I'm like a, like a 14 year old kid 
uh, <laughs> close to Christmas. So thank you very much. Well, it is close to Christmas. Ha Merry Christmas to you and your family. Uh, as well as to you, too. And, and especially Julie. Especially Julie. Right. She's the she's the one that really needs Christmas wishes. No. Uh, man, how did how did you start watching like or consuming content, whether it's podcast or YouTube or, or what got you into that? And how long ago was that? Oh gosh, it's been a, it's pre COVID. Um, and I'm setting, uh, I'm setting it in my desk or my space close to my wife and I'm messing around with baseball cards and trying to, trying to find something that I could use to, uh, track my cards. And she said, you know, you can watch a video about baseball cards. There's a, there's hundreds of them out there. And I said, you gotta be kidding me. And so I search vintage baseball cards is what I searched. And the first name that came up was Ray from Philly. And then, so I watched Ray from Philly and that's, I'm not, I'm not very sharp when it comes to technology. So I watched a couple of his and the very, he had you on or was talking about you. So then I typed that in. And, and so that's, that's, I, it was like a light bulb came to me and, and then I just kept watching it and I didn't comment very much on anybody's stuff. Um, part of it was because I didn't want to screw anything up. Uh, I, I, uh, I didn't really know how, and I didn't want to ask another question of my wife how I do this, but I watched a lot of stuff and you called me a lurker one time and, uh, and you know, it just, I really saw how much fun you guys were having and, and I, I could, I could hear it and see it in your videos and I, and I could, you know, really, you know, you're on a few different channels and then you have somebody on then I click on them. So it's been, I've, I really, I've had the most fun in this hobby, collecting baseball cards this last, um, you know, six weeks, seven weeks than I've had any time in my life. And I, and I, I and I mean that. Since you started creating content and, and that started really interacting with other people, I tell, you know, I, you know how much I think the people really enhance your hobby, uh, when you start making connections and, talking with other like-minded people. Would you say that's true? That a hundred percent true. And, and when you had, so just watching your guys's video about getting ready, getting prepared for the national. And that was in Chicago. Um, I said, I, I have to go. And then, and then you and I had messaged back, I'd messaged you and stuff. And, and, uh, but you know, I, I just had to go to Chicago. And when I went to your meet and greet, um, I found dozens and dozens of people just like me. I mean, some were younger, some were older, but they all had a love of collecting cards. And I live in, and I, I live in middle Missouri. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I have a couple people in town that, that I can share my collection with and talk to them about, but, but not, not really. I mean, they, they they impress they were impressed or they they ask questions and stuff, but by just creating content, it it feels like I've become friends with a lot of me's, and uh, and and now you know I'm getting close enough to with with some that they can make fun of me and and I make fun of them and uh, it's 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 great, it's great. Yeah, that is again 
a great part of this community, certainly. And whether it's, you know, on podcasts or it's funny how quick we all go down the rabbit hole. I mean, my, my experience wasn't dissimilar from yours. The first guy I found was Ray from Philly. Now that was nine years ago or eight years ago, but it's the same deal. And Ray and I became friends. He was the first guy I ever talked to outside of, you know, uh, just people that I know, like this random dude in Philadelphia who happens to like baseball cards. So it's not dissimilar. And that's just a very common thing I hear from other guys that you just make connections and you just start somewhere, right? You got to put yourself out there. You got to take some, you know, risk in terms of just being vulnerable sounds so cheesy, but just putting yourself out there and not being afraid of, you know, looking bad or have nobody's going to downplay your cards or anything like people are always worried about things that I think they don't need to worry about, but who am I to tell them what to do? But we're, we're going to talk vintage today, Chris. I mean, you, you and I are so cut from the same cloth and we, we think very different, very different. We think very similar. Uh, we collect a lot of the same sets. We collect a lot of the same stuff and that's great. What's cool is there's plenty to go around. Like you were, I, some people worry, oh, I don't want to tell people what I collect because then they'll go after the same stuff I do. I'm like, come on, man. Like <laughs> nothing we're going after is really rare. None of it's, you know, impossible to find. It's just, I think it's, I think the, the benefits outweigh the cons. If you're, if you're going to get outbid by somebody, there will be another one next week or in the next couple of days. So don't, don't sweat that. But speaking of us, sharing in the same stuff you know one thing that we both gravitate towards is kind of those low-grade vintage cards right um what to you chris makes low-grade acceptable you know it's easy to have people just oh that's not a very good grade and in the vintage world in the modern world you've talked about it on video it's so different (coughs) you know you've got if it's a modern card and it's not a 10, it might, you might as well not even own it. And that is just not true in the vintage world. And and not everybody thinks that way about modern, but that's just kind of the, the general held perception, which I don't really agree with. Uh, A card's a card, you know, and, but in vintage, the spectrum of grades is on the table in terms of ownership. I think, I think it, it lends itself to that. So what do you think makes collecting low grades so beneficial? Okay, so um, I've heard you say um, uh, quantity or quality uh, and quantity, you know, mixed to get a bunch of cards that, you know, um, that meet some needs in your collection. And I started out as a vintage collector. I mean, I, I didn't open packs. We were, when I was growing up, we didn't have any, uh, any income that we could spend on cards for me. And, uh, uh, I received cards from, from guys older than me that didn't want them, that just didn't think they were really good. And I love them then. And so now, you know, I I'm going after some set and set runs or player runs. And if I look at a card and it's centered or pretty centered, that's, that's okay. I mean, that's okay with me. Um, I, I don't like crease cards unless they're the cards that I created the creases on um, that I know where I got it. I know the story about it. And then I look, you know, I look, 
I look past that misfit card. You know, I, uh, but you know, I can't, I, I needed a Jackie Robinson leaf card. You know, I, I, you know, if I have a certain amount of money to take to the national and I try to go after that, that limits how many cards I got or can get. But if I can get, if I can get a uh, lower grade that suits, I'm going to pick that up. And, you know, I, I was trying to explain to a friend of mine that, that about collecting vintage. And I, I now picture it. If there's two cards, let's say there's two cards. One's a, uh, let's say a Mickey Mantle rookie and one's a one and one's a five. Well, a five is, you know, thousands of dollars. And the tens one of, tens of thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. So just imagine them sitting next together, the one and the 10 and the one is centered, you know, or it looks okay. And the five is there, but the one you get to stack up hundreds of dollars of bills of the value of the five and you get to choose between the two. I get the one and $9,000 or I can have the five. I can take that extra money that I didn't spend and I can go buy something else that fits my collection. And that's, I really have stuck to that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, in one of my videos, I said, I'm, I'm not ashamed of them at all, but I get that some people want, I mean, I heard it from you first where I'm trying to get a vintage, a sixties card in a six, a greatest six or a seventies card in a greatest seven. And I get that. But if I already have one in my collection of one of those players and it comes back a four, that's going to stay there for a while until I run into a card better than that with extra money that I might have. And, uh, but I, you know, I, I don't think anybody should have to, you know, uh, explain or be embarrassed of their cards. Yeah, it's always a balancing act, right? Trying to figure out co the cost benefit of which cards to buy. I'd, I'd buy all high-grade cards if I could afford them, right? If they were all a dollar, great. I'll, I'll take the eight, please, or the nine or whatever. It, it's just not feasible. And so you end up for me, especially during the boom, right? I didn't want to stop buying cards. I had to lower my expectations of the grades that I used to be able to get for certain amounts of money. Okay, maybe I can't buy those four, fives and sixes in the 50s and 60s. Maybe I do threes to fives in the 50s to 60s and just buy great examples of those. We always say buy the card, not the grade. That's something you hear most content creators preach. Uh, there are some guys that just know save up and buy the really high grade one because that's the one that will retain its value the most. And, and that's okay. I mean, that's okay if that's how they do it. That's just not how I do it. You know, I, yeah. I want, and and I want most to... people can't do it that way. They just can't afford to, you know what I mean? And I do. the reality is I want a lot of great cards and yeah. I have to go, look, I've only got, we all only have so much money. Some people's budgets are bigger than others, but at some point you go, yep, I can't do that. I can't buy mm -hmm. that card because it's just too much on one card. Well, I just want to, I, I want to be a card collector and not a slab collector. So when somebody looks at my cards, I want the, I want the, 
the number that's on the outside of the slab to be the last thing that they look at. I, I want to find a good card, um, you know, and let them look at it and then, they, and then say, oh, this is a two, you know, something like that. But I, I just, I just do not want to see myself collecting the slabs. I want to, I want to collect the card that's in a slab. The best compliment someone can pay me when I'm at a show and I'm with my friend at the national somewhere and I, and I buy a card, a two, a three, a something, a four, kind of that lower grade on vintage. And I hand it to them and they go, man, that's a great looking X. That's a great looking three, or that's a great looking two. That's the compliment I want because I don't have to pay higher number numerical grading prices for a lower grade car. I can buy a, a two is a two, you know, and yeah, you can pay a premium for better examples of certain numerical grades, no doubt. But the reality is you're not going to pay higher, you know, a five price for a three. You're just not, you may pay a little more than a normal three, but you're just, you're just going to pay less. And that, and that, like you said, stretches your hobby budget even more. Um, what was the, when was the first national that you went to? Was it 18? It was in Chicago or 19, uh, 19. two years ago. No, wait, was that, that was, uh, 21. So I've been two years, I've been two years in a row. 21 and, so, and 22 then. And we met at the 21 national in person. In person. Yes. We had talked before that. And I remember meeting you at that meet and greet and you just walk up and we sat down and we just started talking cards and you started showing me stuff. And it was just, you know, it was like, I just got to talk with a friend and, and look at cards and, and shoot the bull. And uh, again, you've been very generous to me adding some things to my collection that I love that uh, I, I really appreciate over the last couple of years that you've been incredibly nice to me. Well, that's, that's kind of what this community is all about too. You know, I, you, uh, I, when I talk to, when I talk to a fellow YouTuber, like on the side and I'll, I'll ask what cards they need. And, you know, if it's something I have, maybe I can work out a trade with them or something if I have extra or, it's just nice to know because if I run across something that's not that expensive or I, the best thing is, you know, I just, I, I came into contact with a, with a great collection here. Just, I just walked into it on accident and, and, and purchased it. And there was a lot of cards in there that I already had. And, uh, you know, I just, listen, we're just temporarily holding these cards for somebody else. And, True. Uh, and that, but again, that's what the hobby's all about, um, you know, finding stuff. So, you know, it all it all works out in the end. It, it really works. does. Um, I want to leave people with this whole low grade vintage idea as being something that, especially for people that are new to vintage, you know, you can test the waters with low grade vintage and and not probably get yourself in too much financial. You know, if you decide you don't like it or you can always upgrade, I guess, is my point. Like you can always, oh, man, I can use this, too, and a little bit more money to get X, Y, you know, a better grade or you, you can always leverage that into better cards. You mentioned you're not a slab collector. I think that's interesting. You're a card collector. Do you but you're a PSA guy or, or you, you like buying graded cards? Why is that? Well, uh, so this is kind of this is the truth truth um we my wife and i were we were doing some estate planning and i 
uh, you know, it, a few years back. And uh, I knew I had some value in the cards, but you know, as well as I do, she, she doesn't, she doesn't care about, she, she doesn't care about me collecting cards, but I don't want to stick her with all these cards to sell, especially raw. And so my local card shop guy talked me into getting some cards graded and getting them encased. And, um, you know, I, I didn't trust it. I mean, everybody's been sending millions of cards off, but I didn't trust it. So I sent off, oh, about 20 uh, 1950 Bowman cards of just, you know, uh, commons. And they came back to me and, you know, and, and I, I, then I stopped being, stopped worrying about it. So I just started sending out bulk of stuff that I had. And, you know, I like them. I do like, the, I like them graded. I do. Uh, and I do collect PSA more than, than SGC or BBG. And it's just because it fits in my, it fits together in my hobby in the way I collect. But, I, you know, I have, you know, I have some SGCs and some BBGs. And, you know, I even have the GA, um, GAI. Satchel, Satchel Page. GAI, that's right. Yeah. Satchel Page rookie that, you know, some sometime I'm going to cross over. I just haven't had the guts yet um, to cross it over. But I just – I like the uniformity in the PSA, but um, I like I, – I, I've gone on a mission to kind of grade any of my vintage that makes sense uh, that I've already had, you know, for years just to – you know, just to slab up cards and, and, uh, you know, I, I know I don't have as much vintage graded cards as you do, but, but I am so glad, you know, I'm so glad that my one that, you know, the estate planning guy said, that's a great idea. And my local card shop talked me into it because yeah, I'm, you know, I don't think I'm going to look back even if something new comes. Okay. I'm, I'm good where I am. Yeah. Yeah. There, you know, we bitch and moan about problems with grading and there are those like, there's no question. It's not a perfect system, whether we don't believe the grade we were assigned was accurate or yes, PSA loses cards and yes, PSA screws stuff up and damages stuff. Like, look, there's no perfect system out there, but in terms of ease of the next generation to make a decision about what they want to do with your cards, I know from, you know, chasing cardboard when we go look at collections and they're raw. You know, it's hard because they're all, you know, how do you really, you know, I might think it's a certain grade and somebody else might look at it and think it's another grade. And, but when you have a graded card, it's just the ease of understanding the value. It narrows the range of potential values down significantly when it's graded, yeah. right? Sure and and that range is pretty big when it's raw and much smaller when it's graded. So you mentioned PSA being your your grading company of choice, third party grader of choice. Do you let me ask you this? Do you what don't you like about the grading process or just since you've submitted a bunch of cards? I mean, it's OK to have things you just go, you know, I wish it was like this. I wish it was better this way. Well, OK, so I. I hate to to bash on like PSA, that kind of stuff. But um, let's just call it a recommendation. Okay. Well, 
so I would re- I would recommend PSA to anybody that's wanting to get their slabs or wanting to get card slab. Now I get it where people with T206s and those older cards like how they look in an SGC. And I do. And you and I have a buddy, Don, Don Field of Dreams. He 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 uses SGC primarily. And uh, and they look they when he opens them up and shares them on YouTube, they look real pretty. But since I have a, a couple thousand cards graded by PSA only, then you know, I I don't know. I just it doesn't keep me from stopping to buy a card I don't have. Um, I if wish it's not graded PSA, you're saying. Correct. Right. I wish, and I've heard you talk about it. I I collect the PSA set registry, but I don't. I'm not part. I'm. I don't subscribe to it right now. But I'll get on. I'll I'll collect like I'm collecting the the Hall of Fame post war Hall of Fame run, and I have some SGCs in there and some BBGs, and and I would go after the one I didn't don't have before I upgraded the others. Um, gotcha. And so, uh, I mean, what was your what was your first card that you got graded? Oh man, do you remember? No, it was. But I I do I did hate grading at the beginning. I thought it was so stupid. I didn't know why I needed to get a card in case that made no sense. But it just started making sense when I started buying more expensive cards. I'm like, you know, I better make sure. And I've talked about this a bunch on videos. It was more the authenticity of it and the, the protection of the card going forward that I cared about more than anything in terms of the grading. And obviously that's, that was a good move, <laughs> not you know, sure, with sure. the picture held with grading, but uh, and autograph authentication. That was a huge thing for me for Hall of Famer autographs that I wasn't sure, you know, hey, they may be wrong too, but at least two of us are wrong then instead of only me being wrong about an autograph not being authentic. And so, uh, again, it's not perfect either on the autograph authentication side. So, but those, those were the two main reasons. And I just went, you know, full bore. And I have some SGC, I have a few SGC slabs. I have a GAI slab. Like I, I get it. A uh, bunch of BVG stuff. Not a bunch, a few BVG stuff. Uh, you just, I like the consistency. We've talked about that. I've talked about that ad nauseum, but th- that's important to me. Um, Here's I, another reason that, for me with PS, uh, getting them graded. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I, you know, I, I buy cards you know from sometimes from people and and so i set up at two shows uh, about two different towns about eight times a year four times four times in each place so i sell vintage cards and i had a the peewee reese in action card okay yep 1953 Uh, bowman color yeah and i did not have it graded and so i sent them i'm sorry i had two I'm, i'm i had two one of them I knew was trimmed. You could tell it was trimmed because it, it wasn't didn't even match up with the other one. But the other I sent off to be graded, and it came back non-authentic. And I had that thing in my collection for a long time. Okay, I had it had it for a long time, and I just think I would have been so down on myself knowing I sold a card to somebody else that wasn't that wasn't authentic. And, you know, if somebody would accuse me that, 
you know, I would, I would, it would, it would bother me. But know? Chris, shouldn't you know what I think? I mean, that's the thing that bought people. Well, you should know you've been in the hobby forever, man. There's some really good fakes. Like I, I wish I could tell you, I know everything and all of that. I, I've made so many mistakes over the decades of doing this. I mean, my point is, you know, Hey, you should know, Chris, really? Would you know, like whoever you are, not you people I understand watching yeah. but, and not yeah. you, Chris, but I hate, I, I would hate that criticism. Like you said, I would hate to know you, you sold somebody a bill of goods, certainly unintentionally. And like, Hey, I, I didn't know. I didn't catch it, whatever it is. Um, yeah. I don't like feeling, I wouldn't want to feel that way either. I totally get that. Yeah, and money, money has a thing, a weird thing to do with some people. If they spend something, quite a bit of money on something, and they, you you just, and it was wrong, came back and it's fake, you just lost a friend or a, uh, you know, a patron for for life, you know, and unless you make it, unless you try to make it right. What's your favorite project set that you're working on right now? Like what, or what's your favorite one of all time? So, Hands down, the one that I'm working on right now is the post-war Hall of Fame rookie card. And so I knew I, I knew I had rookie cards. I collected rookie cards. Um, and sometimes even, you know, for, sometimes even before I met some of these YouTube channels, I was wrong on rookie cards on a couple of them. But after, so I started the post-war Hall of Fame rookie set and I had, there's 113 of them now, but I think there was 108 when I started the set and, or something like that. And, you know, I had about 90 of them, 85 or 90 of them. And so just chasing some cards, trade, I traded for most cards, but I have, I've spent some money at some, sh at some shows, but I'm down to, I need one card. And, uh, you know, I, it's the Hal Newhauser leaf rookie card that that uh, blue jacket 66 would say it's a 49 leaf and i don't have that and it's a it's a short print and so that's my favorite you know i've i've completed some um like i have a poster on the wall uh behind me here or behind me somewhere um that my wife picked up for me in new york and it's got has 20 cards and it's uh, the the poster is prints of 20 cards includes the dizzy dean rookie the hank aaron rookie that kind of stuff and when i started that i only really needed I, I needed four cards to finish that set so that's my second and believe it or not the one that i had fun finishing up because i had a lot of them but it's a 33 card set i'm gonna show one i'm what i'm showing you is a joe dimaggio in a 61 golden press. Yeah. And that is not a hard set to get, but I finished that set with most of my cars. And then I picked up a couple that my Babe Ruth was just worn out. I mean, cause I played with my cards as a younger kid. And, and every time the, I would use the Yankees as a team, of course he would, you know, I had him out and put him in rubber bands, but the 61 golden press was really fun for me to finish up. Yeah. It's a great, set um i i don't know if you saw in a video i had a collection that we saw in chasing cardboard that i got an entire uncut 
or unpunched out book of the golden press set and it was in unbelievable shape I had some spine wrinkles on the book itself but if you're going to pull those cards out and grade them like you're you're going to if you're care as long as you're careful uh you're you're probably going to do all right and I sold it just as is as a raw book uh you know there are I have a feeling that as I continue to do these collections I can't buy everything but I know down the road, I'll be like, oh, I wish I would have just bought that. And that's sure. one of those things. And I'm like, you know, I, I probably should have just bought that myself and held on to that because that's a pretty cool item to have. Uh, it's not rare, rare. That's not not a hard set, like you said, but it's just a cool set. It's got a lot of great players in it. And it's in the vintage era. Um, very, very cool. Yeah, so that's when, a great set. When I was, when I was younger one of the games I'd play with a a neighbor is we would take our cards and he would take the Yankees or both of us take the Yankees and we'd play our cards against each other. So we'd put our first baseman, second baseman out in the field of nine that looked like a baseball and then, and then see who was the best defender. For instance, if he had a Thurman Munson and I had a Yogi Berra, we would argue who's the, you know, best defender and stuff right? and all the way through. And then after that round, we do our second round and do a starting lineup. And so it got to where I couldn't, he would, it wasn't fair for me to use the golden press cards because, you know, there, we changed it to have, it had to be playing days cards. Gotcha. And uh, yeah. So, but I've, I've enjoyed that set. You know, if somebody would say, do you have a Babe Ruth card? As when I was a kid and I'd say, well, I sure I do, you know, and be very proud of it. Absolutely. When you think about collecting these sets and stuff, I mean, you do player runs, you do set. I mean, again, we're very similar. I do all these things too. It's, it's great that we have these like-minded interests. What do you think makes a great vintage set? Like we talked about the golden press set, you know, why is that great? Well, it's got all these amazing players and guys that had retired and hall of famers and all time greats, but thinking about just a regular, like what's your favorite top set of all time? Okay. Well, I, so I don't want to blow smoke and be too nice to you, but I, a lot of the stuff that I do, I watch a video and say, Oh, I would like to do that. You know, I, I now I'm thinking I want to work on hall of famers, the four decade hall of famers, which you talk about great and see how many that I have and that kind of stuff. But if if I had to say what is my favorite set, uh, and it's it's kind of funny, it's the '76 uh, Topps baseball card set. If if I had to be pinned down to say that, and what I like so much about that is some of the action photos. And my favorite card in my whole collection is a '76 Johnny Bench. He's kind of just staring somebody down after they slid past him or something watching them walk back. And I just, I just love that 76. Um, but you know, I, I have a, I have a friend who's collecting the 60 set. And so, um, I've paid a lot of attention to those and I thought, well, why don't I do that? You know, and um, what year did you mention? 1960. Yeah. Yeah. That's my favorite. That's, you know, and, and yeah. And you've said that before and, Okay, so I have another friend telling me that, and then I look and say, okay, why don't I do that? Um, but, you know, I I loved your – you guys did a show 
about your favorite sets in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And, you know, it's funny how you can disagree totally, you know, with somebody in, uh, and you still have a love for the cards. And, and it, you know, if somebody liked it, and oh, this is my favorite set or my second favorite set, then I would, I would get in my case and I'd get, you know, I'd get a couple of those cards out and say, oh, okay, I get this. I, I see why they like that. But no, if I, the 76 and the 60 are my tops are my favorite sets. Yeah. I, I find that the more I am in this hobby, the longer I do this, the more cards I acquire over time, the more I really cards I used to think I didn't like designs i didn't like like i used to not like the 55 bowman and now i love it you know i love the tv set i love the the design i and i used to think it was just butt ugly <laughs> so i don't know if it's aging like a fine wine or if i'm just mellowing out as an older guy or or i'm just being more accepting who knows it's probably a combination of all of those things that has made me really appreciate all the cards all the sets there's there's not, I, I'm not a huge fan, for example, of 61 top. There's like the Willie Mays card. I think it's just like, oh, what a waste, you know. No hat. No the hat hatless, the hatless yeah. wonder, Willie Mays, you know, and a lot of the cards in 60. I don't like all the photos of 60, but I like the design. It's it's simple, it's clean. Uh, there's some really great cards in 61 tops. So even though I may not go, oh, that's, I really gravitate towards that. I appreciate it more, like you said, after what, when you watch other people talk about it or you just learn more, I think you, you gain an appreciation. You just have a healthy respect for all of them. And you go, yep, I get that. Like 72 was so ugly for me for a long time too. 72 tops. I just thought it was ugly. And now I'm very tolerant of it. In fact, I, I kind of dig it. And that's, and that's funny. The 72 is, I almost would have said 72 over the, over the 60 because I just love those colors. And, and, you know, I was five years old when those came out. Um, but so I didn't have them, but some of my buddies, I remember getting a 72 Burt Bly 11 and, and trading an older card for that card. Um, and not really an older card here. It's just I'd get a baseball digest magazine or a baseball magazine that my dad might have had or found. And I'd cut out a photo of it and I'd put it on cardboard and tape around it. And uh, you know, I had a I know I had a friend that felt sorry for me. He was about five, you know, 10 years older than me. And so I got the Burt Blylevin for the first time, the 72. It's not his rookie, but I thought it was his rookie. Cause that's what, you know, it's what I was told. And I had, I had that card. I still have that card somewhere. And I love the 72, but I knew, you know, listening to you guys, you weren't the only one that didn't like the 72. Right. And, and it just, just kind of depends, you know, it's weird. You just brought up an a, amazing memory for me. I don't know how many of one thing I never hear people talk about, and I don't know how many of you feel this way. I never hear people talking about baseball digest. And when I, I remember getting my first subscription to Baseball Digest, 1983. The first one I ever got had Rick Dempsey on the cover. He had just won the World Series MVP and I think it was 83. And I remember getting that. And every month for the next, I don't know, decade, uh, probably 
certainly seven years to 10 years, I would get I had a monthly subscription to Baseball Digest. And I would so eagerly look forward to getting that. And then I started probably 85-ish, 86. I started my Beckett subscription, which continued, you know. And so every month I would get a Baseball Digest and I'd get my Beckett baseball card monthly. And I would just cover to cover, you know, read it. And then go into the store and buying any other baseball magazines that I could find. And I, I just ate that stuff up. I, I just loved it. And everything's so digital now. It's, it's kind of sad really. Cause you, it's hard to get excited about, I don't know, an article on the web. Well, like I was, I was so lucky being growing up where I did our, uh, our local newspaper, the guy that was in charge of the sports, he's a sport editor. And he's still alive today. And uh, anyway, he loved baseball and he collected baseball cards. And he would put the box scores. Of, there was a whole page or a half a page of all the game's box scores. And uh, you, the kids don't get to see most of that now. You know, they might get to see their local teams. But I got to see everybody's box scores. And then also before the All-Star break and then all the way till the end of the year, he would have uh, league leaders, like the league leaders in American League and home runs all the way through, you know, RBIs. And every week he update that every week. And it's still, you know, American League and National League, league leaders and everything. And as a kid, I got to look at that. And I think it just, it helped me even know more about baseball. I mean, that's what Baseball Digest, I mean, you had to, you had to, at reading those articles and stuff, you had to, you know, uh, learn by, digesting some of that and i so i remember my first sports digest or baseball digest book um i bought at the the bookmobile library had a bookmobile and and i got one of those and and uh, one of my neighbors had a bunch of them there you go my first one Uh, it was technically january 1984 so because it would always be you know basically a month behind uh-huh. And I'm showing a picture of the 83 or, or the, the first baseball digest I ever owned, which was, it's got, I love how it's got the, that's how mine would come with that mail label on it, you know? And yes. I'd always be pissed when it was over and I couldn't get it off without tearing the cover. Okay. Uh, I was like, dang it. Trying to, w- trying to rip off the label. Is that exactly what you're doing? trying okay. to rip off the mailing label did not work very well. And nope. so, but that was my first, God, it was such a, great time when i just have you seen the have you seen the video of rick dempsey during a rain delay oh when he's acting all goofy or oh he's he's acting goofy he's he comes he's i I forget what player he's trying to emulate but he puts stuffs his shirt with a bunch of clothing to make him look heavy and then he slides around the bases and yeah, and uh, it's a if you ever Google it sometime, but he was very good defensive catcher. Yeah, great defensive catcher. He was. That's a that's another thing I think we have in common, isn't it? You were a catcher, and I was a catcher. We were both catchers. Yeah, we. I think we we found a bunch of con- during our first few conversations, we identified several <laughs> common threads between our upbringings and our just all kinds of stuff, which is what's again what's great about this hobby. And I appreciate you bringing up the baseball digest thing. Cause I totally, that was a huge part of my baseball education growing up, Yeah, you know, and learning. And so speaking of greats, you know, we have, uh, 
we're again we're recording this on Sunday. By the time it airs, we'll know if anybody else got into the Hall of Fame via the era committee. Do you think anybody makes it? Well, if Dale Murphy is going to make the Hall of Fame, it better be this time. Um, and I've always wanted him in, but the reason I say that is there's two Atlanta Braves players that's on the committee and uh, to elect him. Now, I know he has to get – they just have to get so many votes. And uh, I don't know. It, what's odd, though, is there's two Braves players on there. There's two uh, Detroit Tigers players, and there are two Chicago Cubs players. Yep. And then, uh, you know, it's it, depend, it depends how hard they're arguing for you in the room. But uh, I don't – again, it's going to be tough for more than one to make it. And I wish I was sitting in the, the room to see who was, you know, who was – voicing their opinion for who, but if it, if I was going to pick one to make it, it would be Kirk Schilling. Um, uh, just, I think, I think Palmero is going to have a hard time making it. I mean, even though he's, you know, the stats are crazy, but I saw, I saw an article that, you know, Ryan Sandberg's um, in, induction speech into the hall of fame it, in point kind of chastised the, it was in 2005 and he kind of chastised the steroid players and, uh, and he's on the committee and he's on the committee. (laughs) So, you know, he's in, so I, again, maybe he's changed his mind. Um, but you and I talked about this and, and I, I know your views about it. And I used to be totally against you and my, my argument. And I loved it because I texted you one time late when you were, doing that show. And I said, ah, I'm a, I'm a teacher at heart. Uh, you know, I, I was a high school administrator and stuff. And my, and everybody, the argument was a bunch of them say, well, he was a hall of famer before he got in. And I remember, I remember, you know, talking to parents come in after their kids got caught cheating on the last page of the test. And they said, well, he, he didn't cheat until he got the last page. Well, it doesn't ma- matter. Um, you know, we're going to rip up this test anyway. So I used to do that until, you know, I can, I'm, I can be jerked both directions. I just, I don't, I don't get influenced by too many people, but my daughter uh, is on part-time curator of a small museum in our town. And I remember, I think I told you about this. She, she said, Barry Bonds, isn't he the all-time home run hitter? And, and she said, I said, yes. And she said, well, the baseball hall of fame is a museum and you can't really tell the story about the hall of fame unless you put the all time home run leader in the hall of fame. And I'm like, ah, okay. Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and you know, you, you can do that about Clemens, but I, I think they wait around long, a little longer. And I think the only one I think that's going to get in is Schilling. I would like, I would like to see a lot of them get in. I mean, how about you? Uh, I think McGriff makes it for mm. sure. Okay. And then I think Schilling, if there, if two get in, and I agree with you, it's hard to get two in because each committee member is only allowed three votes. They can't vote for everybody, you know? So, and you have to have 12 out of the 16 to get in. So to me, it's, it's McGriff. And then if two get in, I think it'll be Schilling. Um, Murphy, Mattingly, you know, I heard somebody made an argument and I went and verified it and it's true. Mattingly and Kirby Puckett had very similar careers 
And everybody's like, no brainer on Kirby Puckett, like absolutely. And most people are pretty lukewarm on Mattingly. And I'm like, that made me rethink Matt. Not that I think Mattingly should be in the Hall of Fame. And I do think Puckett should be in. So it's this, both of them had their careers uh, kind of stifled by injuries. Puckett had the eye thing and it was very sudden. Mattingly had a, had a slower decline because of his back. And so, but if you look at their career stats side by side, it's shockingly similar. Right. And I'm like, wow. Okay. So that, that made me at least like if Mattingly got in, I'm not going to be mad. If Murphy gets in, I'm not going to be mad. I just, I'm not going to be like, Oh, this is a travesty and throw out the hall of fame. I hate when people, Oh, I don't even care about the hall of fame anymore. Cause such and such person's in like, really? Come on. Um, I, I don't like that Harold Baines is in the Hall of Fame, but I didn't vote for him. And it doesn't diminish the whole to have, there's probably a dozen guys at least that you could name and go, yeah, probably if they had to do that over again, it probably wouldn't go that way. Okay. Um, but you shouldn't take away from the greats just because there's a few probably undeserving players in there. Right. I used to, so I've been writing a book for a hundred years that I'll never finish because by the time I finish saying who should be in the hall of fame, they either get in the hall of fame or, but I, you know, the players, when these kind of committees uh, chose people back in the day, I don't think, you know, Dave Bancroft probably should be in Rick Farrell shouldn't be in, but you know, I, I look at Steve Garvey and when I was growing up for 10 years there, I believe he's probably the best first baseman in the National League. Right. And arguably there could be, there, you know, there could be, you know, there could be others. But for 10 years, you know, he's the best. And I always thought if you're going to be the best at something, then you ought to be in the Hall of Fame, you know, 10-time All-Star, uh, 200 hits a bunch of times. But then I look at Bill Freehand, who was the best catcher in the American League for a long time. Right. But – his stats probably don't warrant it. So for every argument you have that for your argument, you have an argument against it too, or, you know, that make, that makes sense to me. And uh, boy, I hope, I hope McGriff gets into it. it. That'd be great. Yeah. I, I saw all of McGriff's career. He was just the model of consistency to me. I mean, just mark down 25 to 30 home runs, 110 RBIs. And, you know, that just felt like McGriff and that, matters you know consistent greatness right that to me is the mark of a hall of famer yeah. um, his stats mirror like willie stargell yeah you know, I, don't, I don't know what they were in war but i'm sure that i'm sure with like billy williams he's close to billy williams you know and stuff but but uh yeah, yeah i think that i do like the eric like to me the best judge of who should be in the hall of fame are other hall of famers. Like if you were to say only one segment of the population can vote, that's who I would pick to vote for the hall of fame. Um, If they don't know, nobody knows, you know, if you get this group of former players, i.e. hall of famers, managers, executives, people that are in the game, who else to better judge? It shouldn't be me on my couch, you know, or a baseball writer who has, God knows what kind of agenda. Right. right. So to me, I, I actually, if they elect him, I'm going to be like, yep. Which is funny. Cause then I just said Harold Baines and he was elected by of an era committee, right. Sure. An committee. But, so, but look at, you know, Minnie Minoso was elected too. And, yeah. 
uh, you know, I kind of changed my mind on him because Bill Bill James kind of I I read his stuff and and he th- thought he was in, but he probably wouldn't have got in if the Eric committee wasn't comprised of a couple people that are part of that organization. Right. But but if you want to see some mistakes, you can that the baseball writers do. Heck, I think I'm right on this. I'm sure if John Mangini watches it, he'll correct me. But but uh, Ted Williams didn't. He didn't get the MVP when he won the triple crown. And if you'd put his stats next to Joe DiMaggio, it looked like Joe DiMaggio missed 20 games or 30 games. It just suffers in comparison. So if you make one guy mad, I mean, look at look at all the Hall of Famers that weren't first ballot Hall of Famers. You know, Yogi Berra, not a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's the best catcher in baseball for a long time. You know, three-time MVP. And, uh, yeah, it's the. I think the voting. I think more guys today uh, are willing to. It used to be kind of the old boys' club of writers that you wouldn't elect a guy on this first ballot. Like, hey, let him, let him stick around a little while. We got other guys to vote in. You know, it was just this. I don't know if it's biased towards allowing. You know, oh, you got to be upper echelon to get first ballot. Now, I think they vote for the guys they think are deserving. By and large, I think the writers have gotten it right over the years. Like, sure. To sure. me, I think they've made less egregious inclusions into the Hall of Fame than the Veterans Committees. Yeah, I agree with that. But the Veterans Committee still, I think, is a valuable part of recognizing baseball history and getting some guys in that certainly deserve to be. Uh, Buck O'Neill's a great example, but you know, the pioneer kind of guys, the influencers, I don't, I don't know what you call Buck O'Neill ambassador is probably the best person yeah. thing, name you could give to Buck O'Neill. To me, he was the most deserving of that entire class. Like, right. absolutely. Um, but enough about the hall of fame. Tell as we close up here, Chris, tell everybody how they can watch you on YouTube and, and start following you. Okay. Well, um, my channel is Chris from Missouri, and the only reason that name is that way is because if I two different influencers that I had me mention my name on their channel was oh it's Chris from Missouri, so I don't have a cool name, but but just get on Chris from Missouri. I have about I have a, about a dozen videos now, and and uh, uh, it's I'm like again I hope it's if you like vintage I hope what I do on my channel. Um, you enjoy. Um, if it's not for you, I understand that as well. But Chris from Missouri, click uh, like on it if you like it. If you don't like it, don't subscribe. Well, I will put a link to your channel, Chris, in the description below of this video. So like I said, I always tell people like, hey, here's somebody I follow. Here's somebody I like. Go watch them. If you And it's okay if you don't. Like You don't have to like everything I like just because I say it. Uh, but go check them out. At least give them a shot and see if it's something that's uh, up your alley. So, Chris, thanks for being a great friend. Thanks uh, for what you're now do- contributing to the YouTube community. And uh, thanks for being on the show. Well, thanks for allowing me. And thank you for everything you do for the hobby. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. All right, guys. We'll catch you next week for another episode. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching. Have a good one. Keep collecting.